Hello, it's Amelia here from Undercover Architect. In this episode, I'm going to be sharing why giving your style or aesthetic a name can actually be limiting what is possible for your home and how you communicate what you want with the people you need to help you realize it and bring that dream to life. So let's dive in. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This is the podcast all about designing, building or renovating your home. I'm your host, Amelia Lee. Think of me as your secret ally. I am on a mission to help you create a home that makes your life better, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Together, we'll uncover the nitty gritty of how to get it right and how to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. So join me now. Now, before I kick off, this episode and this whole season is brought to you by my online program, Manage Your Build. If you want to maintain your sanity and stay in control of the construction phase of your building or renovation project, Manage Your Build is designed to help you do just that. If you'd like more information about what's inside the program and how it can support you in having a fantastic construction phase of your project, head to manageyourbuild.com.au. Okay, so this episode, well, this one... This is one I've been wanting to talk about for a while, but again, I am super nervous, okay? <laughs> because this is definitely one where I know my, my education as an architect is part of the reason why I see so many problems happen for homeowners around this and how I see it play out for homeowners in their projects. And it's something that I've experienced a lot with homeowners, both in my courses and uh, that I've worked with as clients. And it's really, it's something that I really see potentially limit people in their projects, limit people in how they go about thinking about their projects, and also limit what is possible in terms of what they create, the kind of environment that they create and the aesthetic that they create around themselves. And a lot of this is to do with what happens when you seek to give the aesthetic of your home or the style of your home a specific name. When you go about trying to figure out what movement or style your desired tastes and approaches fit into, and then you use that to characterize the type of home you want to create, and that's how you then communicate it with the people that you're working with. Now, I know that this is something that a lot of homeowners do. I know that a lot of homeowners go about, you know, uh, and I, I actually share a means by which and a strategy in uh, my online programs about how to organize your Pinterest board or your house ideas board so that you don't get overwhelmed by all of the lovely images and you go collecting hundreds and hundreds of pictures per, you know, for your, for your home, even thousands and thousands and just getting really lost in the weeds of what you really like. You know, what, you, what do you really like? What do you really want in your home? Because you're just so confused by all of this imagery that you're seeing. So yeah, one of the one of the steps that I actually have inside one of my online courses, inside how to get it right and inside your Renault roadmap, is to teach you how to structure your Pinterest boards or your, your house idea boards and how to limit the number of pins or images that you collect so that you can stay uh, clear and that you can have a means by which to effectively communicate with team members and those people around you about what you actually want for your home and that you can guide your and coach yourself almost through defining the aesthetic for your home and what your preferences and your tastes and your likes and your dislikes actually are. 
I see people going about it in lots of different ways though. I see people creating vision boards. I see people using the Pinterest process. I see people looking to um, designers and styles that they like and sort of appropriating the names that they use. And I see lots of this happening. You know, I've had homeowners when I've said to them, what do you like? What kind of style, you know, what kind of aesthetic are you looking for? What kind of sort of things were you picturing? And they, they do, they name styles. I've had homeowners say to me that they like, um, they like a specific style for the outside, but they like another style for the inside. Um, that they like this part of this this aesthetic or this style, but they don't like this part of this style. And it's it's very it's I, I like I completely understand. You know, you can't. There's that saying, you can't be what you can't see. And it's very difficult to explain when it's particularly the first time that you're doing it, and it's you're not 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 your natural environment. To be able to explain to people, particularly like builders and designers, interior designers, architects, what you want for your home, you kind of feel like you need to do it in the language of the industry uh, or in something that you feel like will have some familiar territory to both of you. And so I see homeowners really, really trying to put a name, you know, on this and really trying to collect images that are representative of the sort of aesthetic that they like and really then trying to use that to communicate their preferred aesthetic with their design team or their builder. Now, there's a couple of reasons why I am not sure about this being such a good idea. The first is that oftentimes the style names that are being grabbed are actually representative of whole architectural movements or whole kind of location-based style and aesthetic and design approaches that are specific to you know certain regions or certain climates or certain periods in time and the thing is that for me what is really tricky is that uh, for example somebody might say to me I like a French provincial interior um, you know I really like this French provincial style um, because they, they've seen that you know sort of in the magazines that's the way it's been described that's the images that they've gravitated towards and that's what they've sort of come to associate with the things that they're regularly seeing that they like and so they start to use that name and so me as an architect with the the you know extensive education that I've had around architectural history particularly as part of my degree is that I hear French provincial and I see a particular movement in time, I see particular specific architects, I see specific reasons for why that was occurring and it's not necessarily associated with maybe the colours and the materials and the fabrics and the types of furnishings that this person is specifically attracted to, but it's to do with all the motivations for why that style existed in the first place. And so it can become like a point for somebody, for a designer who's not necessarily used to this or a homeowner that's not used to understanding that what the style actually represents, there's an immediate communication mismatch happening for people when they bring together a set of, you know, sort of this is what I like and this is what I'm calling it and this is what the designer is hearing and this is what the designer is making that mean. And so it's very tricky. The other thing that I see happen is that people are doing that thing of grabbing all those images of the things that they like and they're calling it a particular style, but the images that they're showing aren't actually representative of that style. They might be little vignettes, but they're inside larger homes or built experiences that aren't actually of that style or of that era. And so, for example, you know, I've seen homeowners say that they call that a coastal home 
um, they like that particular style and it's coastal, but that's actually, it's a Queenslander home or it's a mid-century modern home. You know, they've just grabbed a particular vignette or a particular room or a particular window seat or a particular hallway and they've called it that style. It's part of that kind of vision of aesthetic for their home, but it's not actually that style at all. It sits inside a much sort of, um, you know, a much bigger reference point. Now, I am all for you using photographs to explain what you want for your home to the people that you're working with. I think that they're really fantastic communication tools and, uh, and really useful to get you and your design team on the same page for what you're seeking. But I think that the name that you're trying to label it with, honestly, is just for you. I don't think that it can necessarily be an effective means of communication with design professionals about what you want. And I especially don't think it can be an effective piece of communication if you're working directly with a builder and their design team, because oftentimes there'll be drafts people and those types of things who haven't had it, uh, you know, history education about specific architectural movements and, and you know, they may have a personal interest in it, but it's not something they necessarily are taught as part of their training. And so if you bring to them a particular style or aesthetic name, that's not necessarily going to communicate to them what you actually want for your home. And so you're much better served by bringing together images, bringing together much more descriptive terms of how the spaces need to feel, the functions, the materiality, the colours, those the textures, those types of things, rather than trying to name it with a style. One of the other dangers that I've seen around this desire to give an aesthetic a name and a style sort of uh, name particularly is what that can then do to the authenticity of the way a person goes about creating their home. It can become like when you look at a lot of these movements, um, you know, coastal, plantation, Hamptons, French provincial, uh, what else is there? Uh, I've had somebody ask for a classic American, ranch, um, industrial, Scandi. All of these movements, they actually have a design methodology behind them. It's not just about a finishes, a furnishings, features application, which is often what you're looking at when you're pulling the imagery together. You're like you're looking at a room and you're going, oh, I like those colours. I like the detailing of the ceiling. You know, for example, with Hamptons, it'll be that you like the weatherboards, you like the dormers, you like the way the porch works, you like the colours, you like the fresh sort of, you know, the shiplap lining, the particular sort of coastal interior that it might have that's, you know, very much of the Hampton style, the blues and the whites, that type of thing. That and the natural materials, like that, all of that stuff that's about finishes and furnishings and styling and application is not what is actually described by the name of that design movement. That design movement name of, say, Hamptons or Industrial or Scandi or French Provincial will design will describe a whole nother raft of design methodologies that might have been about what was structurally possible at the time, what was climatically suitable, what was location specific, what was available in trades and materials when that movement took off. You know, there's a whole heap of other information that comes behind. So if you're bringing that style name and you're trying to apply it in a finishes sense to any type of home design, what I find is that you'll create a veneer that isn't necessarily an authentic representation of that style itself. That may be totally okay with you, but oftentimes I find that that actually disappoints people. They'll be taking a very basic, you know, they'll be basically taking, for example, like a, 
you know, a bungalow brick home and they want it to be a Hamptons home and so they go about cladding it or um, putting dormers in the window, in the roof or, you know, and they'll be like, they'll be applied dormers. They won't be dormers with anything behind them. Um, they'll be almost like Dutch gables, which is just basically a gable in the roof with a, with a, a clad facade on it. Um, they'll add porches on, they'll add timber detailing, they'll paint it a specific colour, but you walk inside and it's still the brick bungalow. And and there's something that happens as a mismatch for people and and it can be really challenging um, and very difficult to get that really authentic experience of that that design style that you fell so in love with when you were looking at these images. And so I'd really encourage you when you do start to see these styles and these names to do a little bit more research on what was actually going on at the time that that movement was created. Where did that movement come from? How did that movement get its name? Where was it located? What was the climate of where it was located? Is that climate similar to your climate? Or are you going to be trying to create a coastal home in the mountains behind Victoria? You know, like is, is think about how these things are going to have suitability and adaptability for where you are. One of the other things that I find particularly challenging about this style application is that one of the beautiful things about design and about building and renovating is we have an opportunity to create something of our time and of our place and actually be a conversation about, you know, this is who we are, this is what we love, this is what we believe, this is what we want around us all the time. And so I find that as we're grappling from the past to grab these movements and styles and then applying them to the present, we're actually losing the opportunity to create something that's authentically ours and that is uniquely our personality. And, you know, I know that resale and future investment and saleability and all that kind of stuff comes into play. I'm a firm believer that you can still create a home that's uniquely yours, that can be appealing to other people and that when you really think about, okay, what are the things I want to surround myself with? What is going to be really about me and my family and the way that we live, then you can put your own personality into these aesthetics and these styles and not be so wedded to what they're being represented by when you look at the imagery online. The other thing I want to talk about is how this gets used then as a piece of communication with the team that you're working with. So as I mentioned earlier, it can become really down to a matter of interpretation and can be particularly dangerous if you're working with people who don't necessarily understand what that movement is about or what you might be meaning when you say Hamptons or plantation or coastal or industrial or Scandi. They might not be trying to elicit what it is that you particularly love about those things. They might be instead looking at your vision board and going, okay, well, I'm going to take this and I'm going to apply this detailing and these colors and this material. And you'll have, you'll, you'll, what I see happen for homeowners is they go, well, yeah, sure, you've done what I showed you, but you've not, it's not interpreted. It's not, it's not designed. It's just applied. And that can be really difficult as, as a point of communication and as a point of trying to actually claw back, you know, what do we really want this to look like? How do we really want this to be? When I said Hamptons, that's not what I meant. You know, I've had, I've had homeowners uh, come to me and say they wanted a particular style on the outside, but they wanted another style on the inside. And for me, I knew that if we did that, if we just applied one style in terms of the detailing and the materials and the colors on the outside of the home, and then we went about doing the other style on the inside and, uh, and did the detailing and the materials and the colors and the room shapes and sizes and detailing of that, that they were going to have a really disjointed experience when they moved from the outside to the inside of their home. And the outside of their home was going to tell 
a really inauthentic story about what was going on inside the home. And so that connectivity that brings spaciousness and belonging and really helps us actually feel at home when we arrive home, they were not going to be able to capitalize on that because they were going to have that jarring happen every time they cross the threshold of like, okay, this is what I'm, I'm on the outside and this is what the home looks like and this is what I'm expecting. These are what these people are telling me they love about the way their home looks and the aesthetic style that they're attracted to. And then I'm going to walk inside and it's going to be a completely different experience and that's going to feel jarring, you know. And so for me, what I did was I looked at both of those movements in architecture and looked back in architectural history and looked where their commonalities were. And you can always find, you know, Hamptons grew out of one specific movement in the States. You know, French provincial grew out of another movement. There's this, there's this whole thing, like all of these things have grown from like, you know, very core origins that then have been interpreted for locations and specific goals and objectives of the different times that they were created in and particularly around material availability, technology, you know, and what we were able to do with structures and glazing and steel and, you know, masonry and all of this kind of stuff. You know, all of these things have grown from a specific core base. And so if you can basically extrapolate your understanding of these architectural movements and styles back to where their core level is. If you do like a specific style on the outside, but another style for the inside, understanding what are the core commonalities is a way that you can really tie together those styles and prevent having that jarring experience from inside to outside. You know, at the end of the day, design is really an opportunity to tell a story and solve a problem. And it's really about conjuring a feeling, an emotion and a connection you think about some of the greatest places and spaces you've been I would hazard a guess that there's been some sort of design element that has enabled you to feel a specific way in them you know I think of the big art galleries that I've been in or the really public spaces you know that run of stairs up to the opera house uh, I think of the homes that I've been in I think of how much the built environment can fundamentally affect and how we feel and how it can feel for us. And I think we've got this incredible opportunity when it comes to our homes to conjure that emotion and that feeling and that connection with where we live and the kind of a kind of space that we create for ourselves and our family. And I think that when we try instead to focus on, okay, what is that style name? Why, why am I drawn to that? What is it about that style name and what I'm seeing these images that I'm drawn to that I believe represent this style, what am I actually feeling when I look in those images? What am I, what am I attracted to? What, am, what feeling am I ambitious for in my own home? What's the goal, the aspiration that I have, the feeling I want to conjure in my own home that I believe those images help me communicate? And if you can instead really tap into that, I think you'll build a far more effective communication tool for the people that you're working with. You know, it might be that these batten screens and, you know, this timber filigree detailing that we see in plantation and Queenslander homes is about, we love this sense of screening and, you know, the dappled light that comes through and the dappled view of, this, of the landscape outside, the softness of the breezes and the softness of that experience, the privacy that it might give us with still the ability to see beyond. We might like the, the fact that it adds a layer of detail and prettiness to our house that we really, you know, love. It might be even that we remember very fondly a home from our childhood that had that detailing and you know we want to be reminded of that experience every time we look at our own home you know I see this happen for people I see 
they look at an image and they can picture themselves sitting in that image and it being, you know, like window seats are a perfect example. I see a lot of people falling in love with images of window seats because what it conjures is there's this idea that I could actually have a space in my home that I could curl up with a book, I could have a relaxing moment, I could have a cup of tea or coffee, I could sit in the sun and I could have just, you know, either an opportunity to have a moment by myself Or it could be where I sit with a child and have a lovely conversation about what's going on with their day. Or it could be where my kids could curl up with a book and really encourage a love of reading and a love of, you know, sitting and being in the home. They're where they're not inside their rooms. They're not on a piece of technology, but they're just enjoying being in a space like that. You know, there's a, it's a cozy space where you can feel like you're part of things, but you're still pulled away enough that you can focus on what you're doing without feeling too distracted. So, you know, really think about, okay, what am I looking at with these images? I'm looking at this veranda. What does that veranda tell me about how I want to feel in my home? You know, I've, I've had a client once, she and her husband really disagreed on a veranda space. She really wanted a veranda space at the front of her house. He didn't really want one. And for her, it was, you know, something that she kept sort of seeing in imagery that she really loved. When we dug, when we really dug, it was because the house that she'd grown up in, it had a veranda. And it's where, you know, her, her, she and her um, siblings would play. They would feel connected to outside, but they were close enough to the kitchen that their mum could sort of be cooking dinner and keeping an eye on things. And they felt like they were close enough to the action to be able to, you know, feel like they had some independence and they could play, um, but they weren't far enough away from their mum to not feel safe. And so, you know, I find more and more that I talk to people, the images that they're falling in love with, they have attachments to them for a whole heap of reasons that aren't just about it being a specific style or aesthetic. It will be that it feels elegant and classical to them. It will be that they've got traditional values about their lives generally. And so it feels like the home has a tradition and a a history about it when they bring that detailing into their house. It will be because they love coastal locations. They love being by the beach and creating a coastal home wherever they are brings that feeling of you know, lifestyle from the beach into their home and where they are now. You know, there's just so many layers to these things. And I'd really encourage you, rather than just looking at an assemblage of images and trying to appropriate a style name to it, that you really dig deeper and question what is it about these images that I'm really attracted to? How am I feeling when I look at these images? And how can I communicate the desire for that feeling to the people that I'm going to be working with? This is the thing, the best briefs I've received, they actually describe a feeling. They describe how somebody doesn't want to feel as much as how they describe someone does want to feel. And that then starts to tell me, how do we need to connect rooms together? How do we need to connect those rooms with outside? What kind of quality of light do we need to bring into the spaces? How big do the rooms need to be? How tall do they need to be? How do we need to move through the home? What do we need to see as soon as we walk in? What do we need to be able to see from the living spaces, you know, from the bedrooms? All of those types of things start to come through in those conversations about feeling and definitely about functionality. I see this time and time again play out really well for homeowners and then that can start to layer on. When you work with an experienced professional, that can start to layer on ideas about materials. And of course, when you're showing images to a professional designer of the things that you like, They can then take those and interpret them into the feel and the functionality of your home. So it's not an applied veneer. It's not a two-dimensional finish on any kind of space, but it's actually something that has integrity and authenticity for the home that you're trying to create. 
there's this terminology in architecture that an architect named Venturi coined. It was the decorated shed versus the duck. And it was something that was happening a lot in architecture at the time. And, uh, and it was earlier in the 1900s. And, uh, and it was about buildings that basically were like anything that they were inside. And they were then the decorated shed. They had everything applied to them on the outside of them to make them look a specific way. But they were still pretty much a shed inside. And then there's the duck. There's the building that looks and is what it is. You know, basically, if you pick, they, they literally have like a duck-shaped building to illustrate this. And I think that our homes are somewhere as a happy medium between the two. You know, at the end of the day, we have budget, structural realities, location realities, um, you know, family realities and all that type of stuff that will, to a point, dictate the types of spaces and rooms that we create in our home. And then we have our preferences for aesthetics and finishes and colours and furnishings and all those types of things. But rather than it being applied like a decorated shed, I really encourage you, as I said, to dig deeper into what the name that you're giving this style actually means. Where does it come from? What is the architectural history behind it? And how can you interpret that, that design movement into the choices that you're making for your home so that you can create a home that's actually integrally, you know, authentically of that movement or at least has the, um, the emotion and the energy of that movement in it so that there's some level of, of feeling and, and function that comes from the application of that movement, it not just being about the finishes that you're applying. So by all means, go ahead create that Pinterest board, create that vision board, think about the style names that you like and that you're drawn to, and then start to do some research. Really dig deeper. What do those style names mean? Where are the locations that they were used? What part of history did they sit in? Why were they created? Why did they develop? And what were they about? What materials, what choices, what trades, what spaces, you know, what connection between indoors and outdoors, what climate protection or climate invitation were they about creating and what kind of lifestyle were they about creating for the family members and the homeowners that lived in them. And you'll be really surprised. You can uncover some fantastic findings as part of researching the names and the movements behind these aesthetic titles that you're giving things. And who knows, they could incredibly enrich the experience that you have in building or renovating your home in a way that's really unanticipated and really exciting for you and really helps you create a home that is you worthy. I, uh, I found this hilarious quote in the Design Mum book that I mentioned in the first episode that I thought I'd finish with because I find that in a, in a desperation to stay, you know, people see these styles and they really want to apply them to their homes, but sometimes it's at, odd with how at odds with how they actually need to live. And, uh, and sometimes it can be like they can love the style and love what it represents, but it's not actually functional for the family living in their home. Or it can bring a whole nother layer of stress because it's going to be expensive to achieve authentically. And so they have to sort of buy it, do it by buying less expensive furniture that might not be as durable. And, you know, there's a whole gamut of problems that can come with it. And so I will talk a bit more about those in, the, in future episodes um, when it comes to styling and those kinds of things. But there was uh, in this Design Mums book, she talks about rolling out the red carpet and the importance of or just how much fun and joy a, a rug in your entry space or your hallway can bring to the home. So she wrote, the foyer rug is integral to your happiness. I'm dead serious. As Emma Bombeck wisely wrote, 
all of us have moments in our lives that test our courage. Taking children into a house with white carpet is one of them. <laughs> so she says, for the next few years, whilst you've got dirty little boots and muddy chucks tracing through your house, invest in an easy to clean foyer rug that will work hard for your family. And that's just one of the pieces of advice that she has in her book, Design Mum. So that's Gabriel Stanley Blair. And uh, yeah, for me, I think that when we think about these styles in an authentic way, when we look back to the history of the design movements behind these style names, we can actually start to uncover ways to use this style and interpret this style in our homes so that it creates functional family homes that are really going to serve us, work really well for us and feel fantastic over the long term. Now, before I go, I'm going to do another shout out for the podcast reviews. And so this one is from acquaintance level five. <laughs> Again, five stars. She uh, says, great info, tips and traps. This is a terrific podcast for anyone building or renovating a home. Amelia works through what to think about in a systematic way. She includes design tips and mistakes to avoid. So thank you very much for the fantastic review. And I'm going to read another one from Tassie Renault, uh, who says, invaluable Renault resource. Amelia provides valuable practical practice advice for building and renovating. Amelia's own experience together with that of the various experts she interviews demystifies the process. All the industry speak and processes are clearly explained. Life-changing design tips are given throughout the podcast. This gives me confidence when making decisions and interacting with all the various people along the way. Tazzy Reno, that's great feedback. Now, if you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, I'd love it if you could leave a review. I know iTunes and Apple do not make it easy, but it makes a really big difference to who this podcast gets to reach. And it also tells me what you're loving and uh, and what to keep, what I should keep doing. So, and if you're watching this on YouTube, please leave a comment below. I'd love to hear from you. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye.